I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. How much time do you spend being active? Only about a fourth of Americans are getting their recommended exercise. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Some of us spend hours every day in front of our computer screens. What's that doing to our body alignment? Does it put a strain on our backs? Could you have tech neck as a result? When muscles don't get used, they atrophy. That's why strength training should be a part of our daily routine. Just as you should eat a variety of foods for a well-balanced diet, you should also be getting a range of different sorts of exercise in your movement diet. Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, how can you balance your movement diet for good health? In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, there's both good news and bad news on the COVID front. First, the good news. According to the CDC, the number of Americans who are hospitalized with COVID-19 has reached the lowest level since the pandemic took off. Hospitals are one of the few places where accurate infection data are being tracked and reported to the CDC. At its peak in January 2022, there were over 150,000 new weekly hospital admissions. In its latest report, the CDC registered 8,256 weekly admissions. The bad news about COVID has to do with adverse heart consequences. A small study published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine reveals that arteries become stiffer after COVID-19 infection. The healthy young volunteers had participated in laboratory studies before the pandemic began. Researchers used the same protocols to measure arterial stiffness and central hemodynamics after the participants recovered from mild COVID infections. None reported serious complications from their illness. However, the investigators found that two to three months after recovery, the volunteers' arteries were significantly stiffer. The authors conclude that there's a widespread and long-lasting pathological process in the vasculature following the mild COVID-19 infection. Although it's unclear if these changes are permanent, If they are, they could be troublesome. Arterial stiffness tends to increase with aging and may contribute to cardiovascular complications later in life. SARS-CoV-2 was not the only respiratory virus causing trouble last winter and spring. Many people complained of symptoms such as sore throat, fever, nasal congestion, and a severe lingering cough. When they tested for COVID, the results came up negative. Now, scientists say that human metanumovirus, abbreviated HMPV, could have been responsible. There was widespread infection peaking in mid-March. Although the symptoms are similar to the common cold, there's nothing common about HMPV. This virus is related to respiratory syncytial virus. It's a major cause of respiratory infections in humans, but it's flown under the radar for a long time. It was only discovered about two decades ago. For most people, it acts like a horrible cold, but for the very young and the very old, it can be deadly. There are no easy tests for HMPV, no vaccinations, and no treatments. 
An ingenious study from Wales shows that the shingles vaccine can reduce the risk of developing dementia. In that country, people born before September 2, 1933, were ineligible for the Zostavax vaccination to prevent shingles, whereas those born on September 2, 1933 and thereafter were eligible. The researchers established that there were no other important differences between the older people in their study population. During seven years of follow-up, people who had received this vaccine were 20% less likely to develop dementia. That was the relative risk. The absolute risk difference was 3.5%, still significant. Scientists have long suspected that viruses, especially the herpes virus, could contribute to dementia. This study, which offered a sort of natural randomization, proves a causal connection. We should point out that the Zostavax vaccine considered in this study is less effective than the current Shingrix vaccination. As a result, we'll be anxious to see if Shingrix is even better at reducing the risk of dementia. Older people who don't get enough dietary compounds called flavanols could be putting their brains at risk. A study conducted by researchers at Columbia University shows that flavanols improve memory, but only in people with low levels to begin with. The investigators recruited 3,500 volunteers to take a placebo or a daily dietary supplement providing 500 milligrams of flavanols. The participants provided detailed information about their diets and completed tests to assess their cognitive function. Among those with the lowest levels of flavanols in their diets and their urine, flavanol supplements boosted scores on memory tests 10% more than those on placebo. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. Whenever we ask health professionals about how to stay healthy, we hear that physical activity is key. But what does that mean? The idea of moving your body is a bit abstract, but specific activities like pickleball or swimming appeal to some people and not to others. The same thing is true of dancing, running, skiing, or bowling. If you don't use your muscles, they lose their strength. Then you might not be able to do simple things like carry a heavy package up the stairs or open a stuck jar lid. On the other hand, people do sometimes get hurt if they exercise incorrectly. Is there a way to get stronger and still avoid damage? To learn more about the benefits of exercise and strength training, we turn to Dr. Brad Schoenfeld. He's a professor of exercise science at Lehman College in the Bronx, New York, where he serves as the graduate director of the Human Performance and Fitness Program. Dr. Schoenfeld is author of the textbook, Science and Development of Muscle Hypertrophy. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Brad Schoenfeld. Pleasure to be with you. Dr. Schoenfeld, I'm just going to cut right to it. Why is exercise so crucial for good health? Well, exercise really is a, uh, a push now in the uh, in the field to uh, coin the term exercise as medicine. And really, uh, exercise is a polypill. There's really nothing. I want to say nothing exercise can't do, but it is the most important thing you can do for your health, both 
physical and mental. Uh, so, I mean, if you look at the literature, it clearly shows uh, positive effects on the brain and really every organ system, brain, obviously the muscles, uh, the uh, organ, internal organs, etc. So uh, if there's one thing you can do for your overall health, it is to get up and exercise. You know what I find so fascinating about this conversation? Our ancestors did not have to worry about this. They just did it every day. Uh, there were farming communities. They had to walk long distances, oftentimes to get to town. The idea of sitting in front of a computer six, eight, ten hours a day, they would have been totally shocked because that was so different from what they did. But now we actually have to make it a point to exercise. It, it doesn't come with our normal lifestyle. Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing about a progressive society and about the industrialization of, of society is that certain uh, uh, the technological revolution that we're uh, really a creature now of, uh, of our own homes where people just stay in or stay at work and buy, like you said, they're behind a computer and they're not active and that is just not the way we're meant to live. So you have to then make time to, uh, to do what you what our ancestors did naturally, correct. So how much exercise do we need? And is there a particular kind that's best? Well, it really depends upon what your goals are. So obviously, uh, everyone has different goals in life. From a basic health standpoint, you really don't need a lot to see huge benefits, but there is what's called a dose-response relationship, at least up to a certain point. So doing more within fairly wide limits, will continue to reap additional rewards. 30 minutes a day of uh, moderate exercise can have huge health implications, and that's that can be things just like walking or just doing activities of daily living that involve movement. Uh, but if you're asking me, in my humble opinion, what is the most important thing you could do, I would say it is resistance training. And that uh, that is based on really a plethora now of evidence. And, and by the way, that is not to disparage to say that other forms aren't beneficial. I, I think there's, when I say I think, there's good evidence that they are convergent, that the uh, doing multiple different forms of exercise is important. But uh, resistance training, and that is things like lifting weights is the most common, but it doesn't have to be weights like a barbell. It can be push-ups. It can be uh, certain types of calisthenic exercises. And uh, research has clearly shown that there's so many additional benefits that can be achieved from resistance training that you just can't get with other forms of, of exercise. I, I would say it is really the one most indispensable thing. And, and one last thing, the good news is it does not require even as much exercise to accomplish the benefits. So you can get by on, uh, at least from a health standpoint, three 30-minute uh, sessions per week can get you really huge benefits. So Dr. Schoenfeld, you said there were many different health benefits that we can get from resistance training. Would you expound on that a little bit, please? Sure. Yeah, well, one of the most important things, which you again, really just don't get from things like uh, cardiovascular, you know, aerobic type exercise or other forms of exercise is strengthening of the muscles. And uh, if you don't, so you even you can do uh, walking, et cetera, and other forms of being active. If you do not do resistance training after the age of 
30 to 40, you will start to lose, progressively lose muscle mass. And look, in the olden days, people didn't live that long. Now we're living into our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, which was unheard of back in, you know, cavemen era, the prehistoric era. And at this point, you will progressively lose muscle mass to the point that you, many people become infirm. It's called the sarcopenia, which is the age-related loss of muscle tissue. And if you uh, really resistance training is the primary way to offset that. And uh, if you lose your muscle uh, over time and lose your strength, uh, people become physically dependent on other people. And that's the primary reason why people go into nursing homes, et cetera. And, I, and that's uh, so that's the primary thing that you get through resistance training that you don't get through others. But resistance training also will get you cardiovascular benefits. It will get you mental benefits. It will get you. Uh, postural benefits, uh, which is often overlooked, which again, isn't really achieved uh, through other forms of exercise. Bone density, it's the best uh, type of exercise for improving bone density, particularly important there for women. So I, I can go on and on. I don't think we have enough time to to uh, span the, the gamut of things that it can do. But uh, again, I think there is a uh, benefit certainly to many forms of exercise. But if you ask me what I think is the most important Hands down, it would be resistance training. Well, as a matter of fact, Dr. Schoenfeld, recently we heard from a listener named Alexis. I don't know exactly how old Alexis is, but I'm pretty sure he's a senior. And he expressed his opinion that seniors don't do enough strength training. And he said that uh, we really need to focus on making sure that older people are really working their muscles so that they can get stronger. What do you think of that? Most older people aren't really doing much weightlifting. Completely agree. And I will say most people in general aren't. And it's certainly uh, even more so with elderly, but uh, I would actually prefer to say older individuals. But uh, really the amount of people that actually resistance train, the last uh, statistics I heard was somewhere around 25%. And uh, it's even less in, in older individuals. So, yeah, it's really important as you get older. But I would say even more so, it's important to do it when you get when you're younger to avoid the loss. You can. This is a really important point. You can offset once you have lost muscle. You can actually gain back a huge amount of strength uh, once you get older. But the best thing to do is to is preventative. If you do it when you're younger, you can really completely affect almost completely prevent the age-related loss of muscle if you are consistently lifting weights in your earlier years. Dr. Schoenfeld, there's a lot of money being made on equipment. And when I say equipment, I mean, you know, devices that can cost thousands of dollars that are going to, you know, help you exercise the your calf muscles. And if you use this other kind of equipment, it'll exercise the back of your triceps muscles. Uh, A lot of people think, you know, I I just don't want to spend thousands of dollars and and I can't afford to go to the gym or I don't have time to go to the gym. So is there a way to do strength training that's not going to cost an overwhelming amount of money? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Certainly machines can be very effective, but they are in no way necessary to achieve results. Uh, you can make very good, I kind of mentioned, at least touched on it earlier, 
you can make very good progress doing bo certain body weight type exercises. Uh, so the key is to pr uh, push your muscles, is to challenge your, your muscles. Uh, but uh, some hand weights, you can buy some dumbbells, uh, resistance training bands, so they're strength bands that have different uh, levels of, of intensity. And this is one, one of the things that our lab has uh, shown uh, in recent times and many others have as well, is that you don't need to lift heavy loads uh, as long as you are pushing. So if you lift, uh, this can be particularly important for older individuals. You can lift light loads as long as you do more repetitions and, again, do it so that you are challenging your muscles so that the last few repetitions are difficult to complete. You can get comparable results in many outcomes uh, compared to lifting heavier loads. So that's another myth that you need to lift heavy to achieve good results. The key is to exercise intensely. So again, it's to challenge the muscles and that can be done with lighter loads as long as you continue to, uh, to push. When I was in uh, high school, we always had phys ed and we had to do sit-ups and we had to do push-ups and um, sometimes we had to climb a rope to the top of the gym. How effective are those in the 30 seconds we have before the break? Yeah, they were all effective. Again, any resistance, uh, as long as you are challenging the muscles, so meaning that the last few repetitions are difficult, any uh, resistance can be effective for improving your uh, musculoskeletal system and your body as a whole. So results can be achieved in many different ways. You're listening to Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, Professor of Exercise Science at Lehman College in the Bronx. He's Graduate Director of the Human Performance and Fitness Program there and author of the textbook, Science and Development of Muscle Hypertrophy. After the break, we'll learn how strength training affects bone health. What type of resistance training is best for preventing osteoporosis? What are the differences between short bursts of exercise and more sustained types of movement, like a long walk? Dr. Schoenfeld will share his favorite daily workout. We'll also find out the best time of day to exercise. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, CocoPro Cocoa Extract. With the proven power of cocoflavanols, Cocovia supplements support blood flow from head to toe. This National Physical Fitness and Sports Month Give your heart and brain 100% and support a healthy you with the most proven flavanol bioactive. Get 20% off your Cocovia order from May 8th through May 22nd using the discount code FITNESSPOD at Cocovia.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. 
Coco Via Memory and Focus is made with a special blend of ingredients that work together to promote attention and long-term memory. It supports five areas of brain performance, all in one capsule. More information at CocoVia.com. Also by Gaia Herbs, focused on purity, potency, and transparency through its Meet Your Herbs platform, tracing the origin and DNA of each product, connecting people, plants, and planet to create healing. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. Today, we're discussing the best ways to strengthen our bodies. Humans are made to move, but a lot of us don't get much exercise. What should we do to counteract the lure of our screens? Soon, we'll talk with Katie Bowman about the biomechanics of our bodies. First, though, we continue our conversation with Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, professor of exercise science at Lehman College in the Bronx, New York. He's graduate director of the Human Performance and Fitness Program there and author of the textbook, Science and Development of Muscle Hypertrophy. Dr. Schoenfeld, you said something a little while ago about strength training was good for bones. Now, I've always heard that you, know, you needed to do, I guess what I'll call jolting. I mean, that's, that's kind of bad description, but, you know, jumping jacks. Weight Bearing exercise, I think, is the term, isn't it? That's the one. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Why would strength training, lifting weights, have any benefit for bones? Well, because uh, without getting too technical, muscles pull on bones, and really it is the stress on the bone. The body responds to stressors. And uh, when you lift weights, the muscles are pulling on bones, causing the bone to, to engage. and uh, that technically is weight bearing. You are bearing weight on the on the bones as you are on the muscles. So this now becomes personal. I have just received a diagnosis of osteoporosis, and therefore I am quite interested in strengthening my bones with exercise if I can. I have not been doing resistance training. So what type of resistance training would give me the best benefit? Well, so the first principle is that you need to stress the bones that you are, you know, that are getting osteoporotic, that are losing their density. And thus, yes, running will help to increase the bone, the uh, density of your femur, your leg muscles, but they really do nothing for upper body muscles because they're not being stressed. So my best advice there would be to do total body resistance training, and generally using what we call multi-joint exercises because they engage more of the bone uh, of your musculoskeletal system. And there are things like squats, presses, uh, rowing. Uh, when I say rowing, you could do uh, rows with a dumbbell and, and other, other types of implements. Uh, you can even do it with the resistance bands. Uh, so doing multi-joint moves as opposed to a single joint move would be like a biceps curl or a triceps press down would be single joint. Not that they're not effective in, at uh, stressing certain muscles, but you get more kind of the bang for your buck axiom if you do these multi-joint movements. And, and you also need to do less exercises if you're including multi-joint moves. Thank you. I'd be interested in getting your perspective on what I'll call the short burst 
versus the long walk. So there are a lot of people who say, well, I am, I'm not big into lifting weights, but I do like to take a walk around the neighborhood. And that sometimes takes me about 45 minutes to an hour. And, you know, why do I have to do this short burst thing that looks like work? Well, again, they're just you're getting different adaptations, uh, specifically resistance training. Now, there's also something called high intensity interval training where you keep, that involves doing like bursts of running interspersed with uh, recovery. That's a different that is that's more of an apples to apples comparison. But when you're looking at walking versus resistance training, you're not strengthening your musculoskeletal system. So you're you're going to improve your heart uh, cardiovascular function. There's a lot of benefits. I'm certainly not saying. Uh, that it's not important. In fact, I would say that combining aerobic training uh, with resistance training is ideal uh, you know, to do. And, and by the way, just from a personal standpoint, I make it a point to walk over 10,000 steps per day. Uh, so yeah, I do think it's very important, but you're not going to achieve, you're still going to get sarcopenia over the time. You're going to lo- progressively lose muscle if you are not lifting weights. There's just no way around it. So you can like it is obviously very important to do what you like, but if you're not going to achieve a certain benefit, sometimes you got to do things that you might not like for, for your health sake. Well, let's just imagine that we had a GoPro attached to your hat and we got to watch Dr. Schoenfeld for, for a complete day doing his routine, teaching, research, but also exercising. What exercises would we see you doing, whether it's at home or whether it's at work or whether it's at the gym or whatever you do, just so we get a sense of, okay, how does he do it? Sure. I uh, I make it a point. Now, my schedule is somewhat in flux. I do travel frequently, and that will throw a wrinkle into this. But when I'm here... When I'm in uh, in my hometown, uh, I generally work out four days a week. I know I'm a little more on the serious side, so my goals are a little more lofty. I would do less if I just was doing it purely from a health standpoint. So I want to achieve a certain um, have a certain amount of muscle, but I still don't. It's not that much. Uh, I work out 45 minutes to an hour, four days a week, and I split my workouts into upper and lower body. So one day I go into the gym. I do upper body, then lower body, then upper and lower. Uh, within a week, I'll train four times, and I do a variety of different exercises. And I, the one thing I do is I train quite hard so that, like I said, uh, on each set, I challenge my muscles. So I'm struggling to complete the last repetition. So if we were going to watch your workout, what kinds of things would you be doing? Um, so let's say on a uh, lower body day, I'll do, uh, usually squats, uh, or, or a leg press. So I'll do some type of multi-joint. I'll also do a single joint leg extension. Uh, so I try to work the gluteals, the, uh, thigh, the thigh muscles, so your quadriceps, hamstrings, and the calves. And I'll do a total of about six different exercises that'll work those muscles. So squats will work the quads and the glutes, the, basically the whole leg. And I'll then focus on the quads with a leg extension. Some people might not know what these exercises are, but I'll do a hamstring curl. I'll usually do some type of stiff-legged deadlift movement, uh, and then I'll work my uh, calf muscles. So just a variety of different exercises that are targeting the specific muscles. 
Is there a best time of day to exercise? Great question. And we've actually done a meta-analysis on this. And the answer is unequivocally no. Uh, The best time is the time that works for you. So here's the thing. There is a best time. If you're just saying off the bat, people seem to do better later in the day. But here's the kicker to that. If you start exercising regularly in the morning, and I'm a testament to this because I used to train in the afternoon and then I just got around to it. It was more convenient for me to do it in the morning. If you could, if you start doing it earlier, whatever you're doing, once you get into a routine, your body seems to adjust to that routine. And ultimately over time, there's no difference in, uh, in how you perform. So really it should be empowering that uh, you can work out whenever is best for you. And as long as you're consistent with it, uh, it won't make a difference. I think one of the really key elements to successful exercise is avoiding damage, damage to joints, damage to muscle. How can we exercise without causing ourselves extra pain or problems? Yeah, that's a great point. So from a resistance training standpoint, it is just essential that you train with good form. Uh, and I'd say for most people, you know, I, you could say there are a lot of very good videos, but people don't see them. So people can watch a video and they don't realize what they're doing. They think they're doing what's being shown in the video. And as a former trainer, personal trainer, I can tell you it's not happening. So most people certainly would benefit from getting at least several sessions with a very good personal trainer who can show them the form to the various exercises. But if not, you know, obviously there's a cost uh, associated with that. Uh, certainly uh, watching videos would be very important. But yeah, you don't train with proper form, you can get hurt. And also, you know, running, a lot of people are runners. Running is one of the uh, exercises, types of exercise that has the highest highest rates of injury uh, because it's a repetitive motion task. At least with resistance training, it's intermittent training. Uh, But with running where you're, let's say, just pounding your your ground reaction force, over and over again, uh, shin splints, uh, plantar fasciitis, and other types of injuries can happen. And, you know, there's some ways to, obviously, you want to have proper shoes, wearing proper uh, footwear, uh, having a good surface to run on, not doing it on pavement. But uh, ground reaction forces and, and repetitive motion over time tend to take a toll. And the bottom line is exercise. I mean, find something that you enjoy. or even love, and then keep doing it. Thank you so much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today, Dr. Schoenfeld. It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, Professor of Exercise Science at Lehman College in the Bronx, New York. He serves as the Graduate Director of the Human Performance and Fitness Program. And he's author of the textbook, Science and Development of Muscle Hypertrophy. Dr. Schoenfeld began his career as a competitive bodybuilder and personal trainer. Moving our bodies is certainly critical, but so is the position we assume when we're just standing or sitting. To learn more about that, we turn now to Katie Bowman. She specializes in biomechanics. Her latest book is Rethink your position, and her website is nutritiousmovement.com. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Katie Bowman. Thank you for having me. Katie, you are a biomechanist. What is that? (laughs) A biomechanist is uh, someone 
that looks at the influence of forces on living systems. I focus my education on the influence of forces, you know, like things like pressure and friction and loads um, on human form. And then specifically the way movement ends up influencing our, our physical state and then thus our physical experience. Well, I, I have to tell you that throughout my life, I have been criticized for my terrible posture. I mean, I don't sit in a chair very well, and I surely don't walk very well. And when I had a hip deterioration, I didn't play tennis very well, but I'm getting better. So why is posture so critically important? We're used to thinking about posture as it not looking good, not looking right. But really, I like the term alignment a little bit better than posture. And human alignment is very similar to the alignment that we're familiar with um, when it comes to our cars. So why is why is the wheel alignment on your car important is because when it's off, what ends up happening is you wear down certain parts of your car faster than maybe those materials would be wearing down if you were to use a different a wheel alignment. Maybe the experience of driving is a little bit different. Certainly, if you've ever had a car where the alignment was off, you might be familiar with the constant balancing, tugging your arm has to do to keep it driving in a straight line. So in our body, it's it's somewhat similar. We are not machines, but we are under the same operating guidelines. In many cases, we respond to forces in the same way that machines do, but we regenerate. So when we feel those forces, we end up shifting the materials in our body a little bit, which is not that radical when you think of what exercise means, you know, adding more capillaries and beefing up muscle, having mineral density go away or muscular mass go away when the loads aren't there. So we're sort of shape shifters to a certain extent. And so good alignment, um, as opposed to a poor alignment, is definitely based on the activity that it is that you're doing. Uh, you know, obviously, if you're sitting, that's a different alignment um, parameters than if you're if you're walking or if you're running or if you're bending and lifting something. Your, your body doesn't isn't in one fixed position all the time. But for each one of those positions, there's a way to think about what are the loads doing in my body right now? And how could I be best interacting with whatever it is that I'm doing? For your car, it's driving. For you, it's any of the uh, numerous activities from day to day, moving things around, to walking from point A to point B, to playing sports. And many athletes are used to the idea of you're dropping your elbow when you're doing that. And if you raised your elbow, you'd be able to produce more force. So alignment is just essentially that. It's a way of maximizing the potential of your body, not only in the moment for the activity that you're doing, but in the long run as well. It's a, It makes mm -hmm. the movement a little bit more sustainable for us. So you are a biomechanist. You presumably have tools and concepts that you can use to assess alignment how would somebody like me assess alignment? How can I tell if I'm if I'm sitting crooked or um, doing something dumb when I'm 
doing a front kick in karate, for example. Right. So biomechanists are often employed by shoe companies and uh, sports centers to work with athletes. And one of the things that I chose to do was communicate to laypersons how to see your own body in a particular way. So for example, if you, I mean, before we even go to something like a high kick, it could be as simple as what about standing? How can I tell, how can I tell if I'm standing in a way that is allowing my structure to support me well? So for example, I would have someone stand in front of a mirror and turn their side view to a mirror. So you're looking at yourself, you're looking at, you know, the the profile of your body and you would take your shoes off, of course. And I use a plumb line. I actually show people how to use just a simple string and a washer or something that that's weighted on the end so that you get this vertical line and then we hold it at the hip joint. And we look and see where is our hip joint position relative to our knees and our ankles. You can do this for your shoulders as well. It is my torso sort of out in front of my body where I have this lean forward to the rest of my body. And so we use objective markers. There's lots of anatomical parts of the body that are easy for people to palpate, to feel where those bony protuberances are or to see clearly where their elbow joints are or where um, their kneecaps are or the outside edges of their feet are. And then once you learn how to see yourself in a, a more objective way, it's easy to see, fairly easy to see how those stack up relative to each other. So you can see, well, my hips are maybe out in front of the front of my foot and the front of your foot has a lot of small bones in it. And a lot of foot pain is fairly prevalent. So I might show example, for example, how to back your hips up. So that plumb line is now stacked over the ankle joint. And it's a simple backing up motion, but you can clearly see in that side view, oh yes, my hips are now over my ankles. I didn't, I didn't know that they were out over on top of my toes. You're listening to Katie Bowman, author of Rethink Your Position. After the break, we'll learn how positioning throughout the day affects our health. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs dot com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements, Cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. Made with the most tested and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today. More information available at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs, their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs. 
Com. According to the CDC, fewer than a fourth of American adults get the recommended 150 minutes of moderate exercise a week. Most people are not getting any extra muscle strengthening activity either. Instead, a lot of us spend most of our day sitting at a desk, in a car, or in front of the television. Do you spend too much time in front of a screen, computer, tablet, or smartphone? Most of us do. Do you have tech neck as a result? How does the screen time affect our posture? If you spend hours in front of a computer, have you paid attention to the ergonomics of your screen, your keyboard, or your chair? How does all this affect your body's alignment? We are talking with Katie Bowman, author of nine books, including Move Your DNA, Grow Wild, and her latest book, Rethink Your Position. She's host of the Move Your DNA podcast. I'm wondering if you could tell us, we're, we're always making movement choices of one sort or another, whether it's how we're sitting or whether we're going to stand up and walk to the next room or not. Um, how does our positioning throughout the day actually affect our health? Well, the position that we pick the most often is usually static. So there's a lot of uh, issues that are related to just um, static positioning. And it's anything that's anything that um, is protected by exercise or is made better through exercise has the potential to be affected through positioning because ultimately we're not after an optimal position. We're after mixing up our position many times throughout the day. So anything that's health-related, your cardiovascular health or any metabolic health, uh, musculoskeletal issues of your of different joints and different muscles are affected by more or less by different positions, bone health as well. These are all about how you're loading your body throughout the day. Things like tech neck, you know, this forward curve that we're seeing more often as people spend more time on devices. There are people who have more permanent curved shapes of their body. Um, there could be things like scoliosis or there could be hyperkyphosis, this, this excessive upper back curve that gets more set in a body because it's been doing it for longer. So adjusting your posture so that your head pulls back and you reduce that curve in your upper back, not everyone's going to be able to reduce their curve to the same extent. That doesn't mean that with practice, someone who has a more fixed curve, because again, the shape of our body has very much been set by the movement habits we've had throughout our life. Alignment adjustments often can't be made in the moment. It's just like um, you can't get up off of the couch and maybe go run five or 10 miles right away. It's through regular practice that slowly you are more and more able well, to do it. So I'd like to follow up on that because I think <clears throat> I'm a perfect example of somebody who spends a lot of time sitting, staring at a computer screen and writing. And I, I get caught up in the computer and I lean forward and I stare. So you describe tech neck and that's probably what I have. And 
how do you break those habits because they've been ingrained for not months but years right and and i just want to be able to you know sit there comfortably and not mess up my neck and my back and my body and i want to also get up and move but i get caught up so i may spend two or three hours just staring at that computer screen the the real issue with alignment is that we have these habits like sitting in front of a computer for hours a day or sitting in a chair for hours a day and they're done in a context of a pretty sedentary lifestyle altogether if you for example, had um, a more robust movement diet where you were up in the morning and you walked a few miles and you spent time in the garden and you were carrying things from point A to point B. When you sat down, your body wouldn't be as susceptible for collapsing into the computer position. Computer is basically the sport that we're all the most practiced at, you know, in the same way that athletes will develop musculature that very much reflects the sport that they do most often. We are sitting athletes, we are tech athletes, and we can see that same adaptation in our structure. So cross training is what an athlete needs. And cross training is really what a desk jockey could use as well. It's thinking about, okay, if I'm going to go in, you know, and do my sport for a few hours here, I want to make sure that I've balanced my movement diet with some other movements in using my body. And you could be as simple as the computer pulls my body forward, my head is out in front of me, my hands are on my keyboard. What's the balancing shape for this? So that when I'm done, or even to be used as a warm up before I go in, I'm thinking about I need a body shape, some exercises, a few moments where my my back is stretched in the opposite direction. My hands need to reach overhead, you know, just to do something different. Okay, how, how do you do that and for how long? Well, no one ever asks how long do I need to do the correction? I mean, they always ask how long to do the correction without really paying attention to how long are you doing the the other movement. So ideally it would be a little bit more balanced, but I don't think that that's, quite realistic. I would say before we go with duration, how long, we could look at how frequently. How frequently should I be thinking about mixing up my shape? And you could start with, I'm going into this thing, the computer, and it requires this shape. I'm going to do one thing, and you could you know, do it for a minute or three minutes, that goes in the opposing shape. And at least at this point, you're starting an awareness and a habit that you are thinking about your body in terms of shape, which is, you know, what a biomechanist is trying to get people to think about, not just the exercise physiology part and the chemical responses to movement. The fact that these levers and hinges are all influenced by the orientation of parts. So start by coming up with the three shapes that you spend most of your time in and that not everyone works at a desk. Many people have uh, jobs that require labor, but maybe you're working with your hands overhead all the time, or maybe you are working in a forward bend because you are uh, doing farm labor or you're a builder. In that way, this still applies to you. It's not desk specific, but you're looking for this, okay, I'm bent over at my spine all of the time. I need to be adding in 
a shape that looks much different than that. Maybe my spine needs to bend to the right and to the left a little bit. So it could be, again, starting with just finding these counterbalancing shapes and giving yourself two to three minutes. I could say something like two to three minutes for every hour you spend doing the opposing shape. And that might be a good place to start because at least you can quantify it a little bit. But eventually we're looking for a more robust movement diet overall. Because if you sit down, simply getting up and taking a walk is a counterbalancing movement to sitting down in a chair. So you can do that on your daily walk. You maybe are already getting that counterbalancing movement. Katie, you've uh, you've mentioned a movement diet. And I think most of us are not actually familiar with the idea of a movement diet. What does that mean? It's just like the spectrum of dietary nutrients. It's taken us a long time to get here, but we recognize that it's not only calories. Right now, we are such a sedentary culture. Our discussions around movement are simply get enough movement calories, get enough movement minutes, get enough steps per day. It's very blunt. It's a very blunt tool that we use for thinking about movement. But just like a a nutritional diet, a food diet, you can get enough movement calories and still have issues that arise. They can be musculoskeletal issues many times. And it's like, wait, I'm doing, I'm using my body. I have enough movement calories. What's going on? It's like, well, your ratio of those macronutrients is not optimal. So that's when someone will go in. It's like, you really need to be increasing your strength training here. And then from that, the, the micronutrients in a movement diet would be how well are you distributing your movement throughout your body? Because we have many sedentary parts within our body, even when we are whole body active. So if, you, if you've ever dealt with really tight hamstrings or very stiff shoulders, you might go out and exercise your whole body regularly but there are these areas of your body that aren't really being nourished through movement. So micronutrients in movement is when we come through and be like, how are these, how are all these different hinges moving um, or not moving? And let's just in the same way that you might take a dietary supplement for a very particular vitamin or mineral that you've been missing, people often go to physiotherapy or physical therapy to help someone target that teeny tiny muscle in the shoulder, a rotator cuff that isn't functioning. And so we already understand this about movement, but I like to use the concept of a movement diet so we can capitalize on the framework that we already understand. Our movement diets might be poor in calories, full stop. We need more movement calories. Our movement diets might already be full of calories, but we're missing a micronutrient or a macronutrient here or there. What I'd like your very specific guidance on is my sitting and staring at that computer screen. So help me structure my day so that, you know, there I am pounding the keys. I've been staring at the screen, surfing the libraries for an hour and a half, and my neck is a little bit sore. My back hurts a little bit. What should I be doing differently? What can I eat in this diet of 
of biomechanics that will change my posture, my structure, my sitting habits so that I will counterbalance that, you know, hunched over staring at the screen problem and, and be able to improve my diet over the course of the day because I may spend six or eight hours in front of that computer. And of course, we've got to start with just getting him out of the chair. Well, or maybe we don't. Maybe we okay. can start with the time that you're spending in the chair because because that's the easiest thing to do, right? Like your life is structured around sitting and being on the computer. So let's start by changing your shape in the way that you are working. So that way you don't have to mess with your larger work schedule. So it could be as simple as we start with the way that you're sitting. And I would start by saying, I want you to use your body more mindfully during your computer time. So you're going to put both feet flat on the ground and move your feet away from you just a little bit so that your knees are at 90 degrees. You're going to start while you're sitting there tucking and untucking your pelvis. And that would look like low, like rocking your tailbone so that your lower back rounds, but then doing the opposite motion so that you're lifting that uh, roundness of your lower back and deepening the curve in the other way. Because you can move while you are producing, while you're on your computer. There's nothing that says that you can't do that. And then I would have you keep your eyes on your computer because that's what you need. But I would have you slide your head as far back from your computer as you can while lifting the top of your head up towards the ceiling. That movement right there is going to start creating tension um, and place that tension in a way that starts decreasing that excessive curve to the upper back. And then finally, arms. Your arms need to be overhead. I like to do something called the doorway reach, which is every time you walk through a door frame, your arms go overhead to reach up to the top. Or if you are not tall enough, reaching one arm up to the side of that doorway as far as you can. Get your arms overhead, break up that keyboard shape of your arms, um, and and that's a good that's a good uh, balancing diet to start with. Katie, we've got uh, just a couple minutes left, and I'm wondering if you can tell us about the movement diet that you created for yourself and your family, and maybe we can all. Uh, learn something from that. I start just about every morning with a walk. One, I feel like this starts me psychologically with movement is my priority for today. And even though I'm going to do all the other things that everyone else does work and get kids to school and go to the grocery store and do dishes, I haven't started my day in a sedentary fixed position. I've started it in this dynamic upright arm swinging position. And it also just sets the tone for the day. I have a dynamic workstation. So I too spend quite a bit of time writing on the computer and reading, but I have a setup that allows me to be in at least three different positions to do that work. So it, some of it might be done standing. And then I also use low a low desk, which means gets me down to the floor, which is very important for the hips and the knees and the ankles and the spine. Um, and I can have a setup that allows me to work in that particular way as well. And I always do something on the floor. 
every day. The floor is a great alignment supporter. It's one of the reasons we don't want to get down to it very often is because it's going to cause a lot of different parts to have to stretch and strengthen if we do. So it's the best piece of exercise equipment we're not using, the floor in your own home. So I will fold clothes on the floor. I might watch TV on the floor. I will read on the floor. I'll set up homework time or or games with the kids on the floor. And just doing those things is a, a way that I have found takes care of the hinges in my body better without me needing to add in extra time. Katie Bowman, thank you so much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Katie Bowman. She's a biomechanist who has written nine books, including her latest, Rethink Your Position. Her movement education company is nutritiousmovement.com, and she's the host of the Move Your DNA podcast. Lynn Siegel produced today's show, Al Wadarski engineered, Dave Graydon edits our interviews, B.J. Lederman composed our theme music. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. Their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial, connecting people, plants, and planet to create healing. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. And by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Cardio Health is offered in both convenient capsule and powder formats, with each serving containing 500 milligrams of cocoflavanols to support heart health. More information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,342. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. That's where you can share your comments. Our interviews are available through your favorite podcast provider. You'll find the show on our website on Monday morning. At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter to get the latest news about important health stories. By subscribing to our newsletter, you'll also have regular access to our weekly podcast and find out ahead of time which topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please do join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.